Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. This is Richard Deitch. I'm your host. Patrick Antonetti is in the producer's chair. We have an excellent guest on this episode. It is John Shambi, the lead voice for ESPN Radio's World Series coverage. Obviously, John is one of the uh, preeminent baseball play-by-play broadcasters in the country. If uh, you hear his voice, it's pretty unmistakable. He... um, will be making his World Series debut as the lead audio voice for ESPN. Uh, John Miller and Dan Schulman held that chair before, so he follows in pretty uh, august company. Eduardo Perez and Jessica Mendoza will be part of that booth, so that's a three-person booth. Buster only will serve as the reporter. Um, And so um, John and I just get into a really great conversation about – Calling the World Series for ESPN, how that came to be, the challenges of morphing from TV to radio. He's the the lead television voice for the Cubs on the Marquee Sports Network. Uh, his thoughts on Texas, Arizona, and that series. And uh, if you're a baseball wonk or you love baseball broadcasting, you're going to enjoy this because obviously this is one of the best guys who is currently working. So John Shambi coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, and the timing could not be better for this, John Shambi will debut as the national radio voice of the World Series for ESPN. That makes him just the third ESPN voice of the World Series, following Dan Schulman, ESPN PR, kind enough to let me know he did this for 12 years, and John Miller, who called the event for 13 years. So John is in um, some pretty rarefied air here. Um, on the World Series coverage uh, for ESPN Radio, Jessica Mendoza and Eduardo Perez will be the analysts. So it's a new three-person booth. I'll talk to John about that. Buster Olney will be like the insider and reporter. And then again, as I mentioned earlier, John, of course, calls Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, um, does television work during the postseason, and then is the television voice for the Cubs Marquee Sports Network. And with that, pleased to be joined by John Shambi. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, sir. Are right, you have been a uh, you know you're a long timer when it comes to ESPN etc. Yeah, and um, you know the the national gigs are not easy to get at ESPN or to lead a package, whether that's leading the television package, which obviously you know sort of brings its more glamour and probably more money etc. 
But if you're leading uh, to me, you read a you lead a national radio package, or you're the voice for them of the World Series and the NBA Finals. These are significant gigs. So let's start here. How did this How did this come about? How did you end up landing this World Series gig? Well, I think that when I took the job as the voice on Sunday Night Baseball starting in 2010, I think my hope always was that I would get here. Um, you know, ultimately. John Miller had it, then Dan Schulman had it, and then when Dan left Sunday Night uh, Baseball on TV, you know he continued as a college basketball voice and still did the World Series for a couple years. And then with Dan transitioning and finishing up um, his last deal, um, you know, his new one basically was moving to being a local guy and transitioning to doing just the Blue Jays baseball wise. So he basically is just doing college basketball. So with that, you know, the opening as the lead voice for, um, you know, for the the World Series and, you know, MLB playoffs. So that's that's kind of what happened. Did you advocate for it or did they, did they just come to you and say, we'd like you to do this? Um I, it's a, it's a fun, I would say that they knew that I, this is what I wanted. And, um, I would say it was probably the most important thing for me. People at at your sort of level of, uh, of play by play are familiar with both, um, doing games on television and doing games for an audio slash radio audience only the game of baseball of course has its roots and its history in radio it might not be necessarily the case for like you know an 18 or 20 year old but um you know the greats whether it's you know, jack buck and harry carey you know vince Gogh, etc it's everything yeah. sort of it all goes back to radio and so i at a certain point of this interview i do want to ask you about sort of the challenges of morphing between the two but let's just sort of focus specifically on audio slash radio um what is the most important thing for you to be able to uh, provide in terms of the skill set of a of a radio broadcaster? So, to me, it's describing what you see. The people cannot watch the game, so you're delivering, and you know, as the saying goes, painting the picture. But it is, yeah, there's craft to it, and. It's something that I take really seriously and that I love. It's the two disciplines are pretty different. You know, for for radio, there there is trying to deliver images in people's heads. You want to try to as efficiently as possible describe what you're seeing. You want to use the sounds of the ballpark. And when you do it well, you kind of feel like you're conducting an orchestra. Whereas on television, you have different choices that you can make, but they can always see it. So if you want to say, here's the 2-1, you can, but the score bug shows you that it's the 2-1 and you see the pitcher pitching. On radio, they don't know that the play is starting until you say Montgomery kicks and deals. So I love it. I would say... There's a romance to it. I probably, I hold it in really high regard. Um, 
and the mechanical part of delivering exactly what is happening on the field is to me my first responsibility whereas on tv i probably am a little more of a gas bag a little more trying to pull stuff out of my analyst i like some of the sabermetric stuff so i am probably a little bit of a you know i'm a quarter of an analyst on tv as well thankfully jim deshays and doug glanville tolerate me in that regard but the two the two things are very different and i i love radio i could talk about the mechanics of broadcasting on the radio forever you know from back learning and from simple advice like people like john miller gave me i uh every person who's done this podcast who has a radio background um has such a love affair with radio so it does not surprise me that you could go um long on that one thing i did want to ask you though just because it's really interesting to me um the people in like my profession or skill set like you have the ability to sort of do short form let's say for like old school newspaper and then write a magazine style piece ultimately words are words but the process the audience how you do it is very different it's always interesting to me how someone like in your position could go from radio to television and then you know vice versa back and forth do you, I don't know how to ask this, but I'll sort of just ask it this way. Like, do you, do you have to at a certain point once you're going to do television? Like, are you telling your brain like this is I'm now doing a television broadcast and I have to sort of present it a certain way? Or have you done enough reps now of both where it's where it's just natural? Like you, you sit down when you do TV. This is the presentation you do. You sit down when you do radio this is the presentation you do because as you just sort of said earlier, it really is a very different broadcast um, because on one I can see as a viewer and on another, I need you to see as a viewer. So I think that if I'm doing a good bit of both, then it's probably a little more automatic. You know, during my time when I was doing ESPN, I would do one TV game a week and two radio games a week. Um, and sometimes an extra TV game. So there was a real balance there. Um, And so with that, it was a little bit easier just bouncing back and forth. Nowadays, because I'm doing so much television, I do 130 Cubs games on TV, and I'll do a radio game, probably about two-thirds of the radio games. I think every once in a while, I kind of have to remind myself – I find that if anything suffers or if there's anything I've really got to get locked in on, it's the timing of radio so that I'm in a position and delivering to the level that I want to deliver. I don't find myself too frequently transitioning back on TV and describing too much Um, I just think in terms of radio as the play-by-play guy, there is a concentration that it takes and a timing that is so crucial. You know, I, like I talked to, um, I talked to about John Miller giving me advice. And one of the things that he said to me back, you know, I gave him a tape, he listened to it and the best piece of advice I've ever gotten and it is 
from John and it's mechanical and it's, it's something that when I critique tapes and when I share with younger broadcasters, it's the number one thing that I pass along. And usually it is received kind of like, you know, the, when you open the briefcase in Pulp Fiction and you're looking at it, like that's how people receive it. And that's it. And the piece of advice was um, on radio, you want to say, here's the pitch before you think you do. And the reason for that is because you want to utilize the sounds in the park. So that if you try to say, here's the pitch with the pitch, the ball's too fast for your voice. So if my clapping is ball contacting bat, right? So here's the pitch is not what you want. What you want is here's the pitch. Swing and a ground ball out to short. Turner to his left, gathers it in, throws the first one down. You want that little space. And it does two things for you. It allows you to utilize the sound of the ball hitting the bat or the ball hitting the glove or the umpire calling it after the ball has hit the glove. But it also gives you the timing so that you are in better position. So you're not chasing the play so that because if you're doing the two, two, like the ball's already been hit as opposed to if there is that little bit of space there, here comes the pitch swing and a fly ball left field, that one back, back some more that type of stuff, um, it just puts you in such a better timing position. So that's the thing that I'm always focusing on. I'm focusing on the pitcher. If I feel like my timing is crappy um, or I feel it's getting too fast for me, I will just go back to gallon on the rubber, standing first base side, angle towards the third baseline. Nods yes, turns, kicks, delivers. And and that's how we get our timing back. And I'll just focus on the pitcher, on the pitcher, on the pitcher. And then you get your rhythm and that type of thing. I'm sorry that was so dorky, but I can't help it. No, I love it, though. It's great. I might my, you can use it as my... Uh... You know, as my te- my teaser coming on to the, coming on to your uh, interview, um, the, you know, I, I'm sure this is the case, but at some point, you have probably worked with Jessica and Eduardo in some form. I've worked with both of them in radio and both of them on TV. I, you know, I probably I've done double figure games with both of them on both radio and TV. Okay, so that, that, that thank you for adding that context and it's sort of gets into the larger question here that chemistry should not be an issue with those two because you have worked with them before even if the three of you have never worked a world series booth together but you have during the course of your career john like had a ridiculous amount of partners um (laughs) you know i have talked to many broadcasters i and eagle may have the record at least the current record right now but you know from what i've learned from talking to many um, broadcasters over the years is usually the chemistry is forged not on air but away from yeah, yeah. Uh, the microphone is for you has that been the same where ultimately you try to get to know somebody prior to you guys going on air how has it worked for you as somebody who really has had a lot of partners yeah and and I have right so you know at Marquee with the Cubs I work with Jim Deshays who is magnificent smart curious interested interesting i do a little bit with doug glanville i met doug glanville when he was playing we had a mutual friend from teaneck new jersey he was at penn with a friend of mine so i made a point when i was doing the marlins and he was with the phillies 
hey, I'm John Shambi. You know, we know this person together, this person together. And then over time, you know, we probably worked six, seven seasons on TV together. Same thing with Rick Sutcliffe. I work with Ryan Dempster some. I've known Ryan Dempster since 1998. Um, and then with Eduardo, I certainly met him as a player. One of our connections is his father. His father was an assistant GM with the Marlins during the time, the eight years that I was there. And Doggy was amazing to me. And and I was there, you know, got to know him enough so that, like, I know Eduardo's mom. I know Paduka. So, um, and then just over time, connecting with, Jess and Eduardo off the air um, when she did Sunday night baseball and I'm doing, she's doing TV, I'm doing radio, you know, we would hang out Eduardo, same thing. So yeah, there, look, I like to connect. Um, I would say it's, if you keep, if you keep changing my partner, every single game, it's not easy, but I can do it. Um, but I would say my ability to connect with another human and try and make them comfortable is one of the things that I like about this job and discussing something that gets them energized. You know, in this format, because the timing is so short, kind of being that, but I still, as an overall, am wired to want to play and I like to play, make people smile and make people laugh. So, um, it's just not a part of it that I worry about. It's probably a part of it that I get excited for. One side note, by the way, this is good good nugget just for people out there. I met Ian Eagle when I was 11 years old. We went to Shibley Day Camp together, and he slept over my house, I think, when I was 11 or 12. So, so Bird and I go back forever, and he's one of the funniest humans I have ever encountered in my life Ooh, i love that bit of uh play-by-play trivia yeah i mean like forever like i like i look if you want me to go dig on me i i will tell you this if we were to have a clever olympics like i think i got a shot at a medal but like if you put me head to head with bird like i'm not gonna beat him yeah true plus his dad was a stand-up that's always oh tough. my god yeah totally so john you know the um <laughs> you undoubtedly will read um, over the course of uh, at least early in the Rangers Diamondbacks matchup, that you know the viewership of this series might not be great. People like myself who write about viewership probably would predict that the series will not be. Um, you know, we're not talking like Phillies versus Yankees kind of viewership. All that said, in terms of a baseball series, it's really really interesting just how these two teams have been put together where they were a couple of years ago. And I think the series on the field has a chance to be really, really interesting. What are your kind of writ large thoughts heading in on Texas, Arizona? I think it's compelling. You're talking about an Arizona team that's super athletic. Both of these teams are very good defensively. I think that's always fun. I think that if Arizona plays the way they did in the regular season, the way they did in game six and seven, where they really run a lot versus, and they can hit some homers, but versus Texas is going to try and hit the ball over the fence. I think you have an interesting contrast in styles. So there are good players on the field. I mean, be clear. Corbin Carroll is 
special. I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, he's fifth in the National League and wins above replacement. Probably votes to win the league of the year. Um, you know, he, but no player to every team had 25 homers, um, 30 doubles, 10 triples, and 50 steals. So, um, He's he's pretty special, and then you know a Rangers team that scored and scored. Um, you know, I think the interesting part is going to be on the pitching side of things and back ends of both bullpens for Arizona. The you know the group of Thompson, Ginkle, and Seawald have been sensational in the playoffs, and a bullpen that was not very good for the first really five and a half five months of the season. Arizona has gotten to be really good. So I, I think that in terms of the rating stuff, I don't I don't worry about it. I, I will say, I know you didn't ask me this, but I, I'm going to answer on, I do think that people in the overall get a little lost on how we judge baseball. I believe that one of the biggest things that baseball did for itself, while some of the other leagues were kind of dithering, was they streamed their games. And they made a ton of money by streaming their games. But what it did was, while it created that, it turned this sport into a local and regional sport. And so the way we judge how popular this sport is, is different from the other sports. So that now it's, you know, it used to be if you were a Reds fan living in Seattle, and the Reds played on ESPN's Monday Night Baseball. It's like, wow, I get a chance to see the Reds. And then all of a sudden for $120 a year on your phone with a spectacular picture for the last 17 years, you've been able to watch the Reds living in Seattle. So I don't need to watch on Mondays. And I have less interest in the national part of it. So I do think that people get a little lost on comparing sport to sport it's just it's different it's teams are fans are way more concerned about their teams and interested in their teams um i don't worry about what the the ratings will be i do think that the sport itself has to keep pushing forward and doing things like the rules changes etc but i don't worry about the ratings like that's not my that's not my space and um I think it's going to be a fun series. Um, one thing here that I'm curious about, the you and Doug Glanville did the National League Championship Series. So I yeah. would think there's very few people who could broadcast a series right now involving the Diamondbacks that would know more, have a better feel for the team than you. Um, you do do national games, though. And yes. I, I don't know if you had the Rangers this year, but... Um, I did. I did. Okay, so you had the Rangers this year. I'm sure you watched the... ALCS. Do you feel like it, like, will it take you, like, I don't know, a day or two or whatever of preparation to feel um, comfort, as comfortable with the Rangers as you do with the Diamondbacks? Like, how does it work when, when you are assigned one championship series? And then you got it. And then you got to do the World Series. Yeah. That's a good question. I would say it depends on the year. I would say, in full disclosure, yeah, probably will take me a game. If I, like to feel as comfortable, it'll take me a um the same. Um, you know, in other years, I could have one side 
um, you know, because I broadcast a National League team um, full-time, and then the Rangers were on some, uh, you know, in a st- obviously in a standard year, I do Sunday nights on, on ESPN, and in a standard year, you know, that you do a ton of Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, etc., um, it would be less so in terms of the transition. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I, you, my level of what I, how I want to be prepared is, you know, borders on a little bit of crazy town, but I, yes, I, I'm answering it. Honestly, I love it as a question. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I had the diamondbacks and the brewers in the first round, uh, on television and then to have seven games with them. The other thing that helped me with the Diamondbacks is the Cubs played the Diamondbacks seven times in September. So, yeah. So I, my comfort level with the Diamondbacks is high. I would still, I just follow so much baseball. My comfort with the Rangers is high. And it's not like I, I mean, as the year goes on, like I text with Chris Young, with Bruce Bochy. Um, I, I, I'm certainly, you know, paying attention to their team but yeah it, it, it's yeah there's work it's fun though i mean like there's a part of it it's like you know the nerdy kid where it's my favorite subject in school so it's not um i i'm, I'm thoroughly interested in it you know i want to um hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to finish up on uh, calling the Cubs. And um, so I grew up in New York. And one one of the things, too. yeah, and I knew you did. Sam, one of the things I always I have always appreciated about Michael K, uh, and I, I happen to like his work. I, I know some people don't, but the but what you can never argue about Michael K is he has every single year he has had the Yankees job, he has always been publicly appreciative of being the voice of the New York Yankees and like what that means, what that means to people. And particularly for Michael K, it really means something because he's a kid from the Bronx. You now get to call one of these to me, like iconic franchises, not just in baseball, but in sport, like the Cubs mean something to people. Some of that is Chicago. Obviously it's one of the great cities in the world. Some of that is the history of the Cubs. And I wonder just for you, like upon, you know, becoming the television voice of the team, like, do you think it like it is different? Like, is it different to call baseball in Chicago than I'm not going to knock another city, but, you know, TK other city, that's not Chicago. Yes. You know, one of the things people asked me was. It's funny what, you know, for 10 years you're doing national and I had done the Marlins for eight and the Braves for three. But people said, were you really anxious to get back to doing a team? And my truthful answer was no, but I was certainly interested in getting to do the Cubs every day. You know, I wanted to be someplace where the sport mattered and the sport matters here, whether they're good or they're not good. And that's, you know, 
I still like this sport same as I did when I was seven. You know, I told the story before when my grandparents, I was like six, seven, my grandparents went on a cruise and they sat there and explained to me what a cruise was like i didn't understand it and they said you know you go and you gamble and you eat and dance and blah 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 and at the end of it the only thing i wanted to know was how do you get the box scores and they said you don't and i was like well then i'm never going and i just like it still it still excites me it still intrigues me and as far as doing the cubs you get to work in this ballpark that was built in the early 1900s and it's like you're on the set of the natural every day the fans are passionate um and in a way where it makes you appreciate what you're getting a chance to do so for as much as i thought i would love it i loved it even more I think the superstation factors in the fact that giant media market and when baseball wasn't in as many places, the Cubs and the Braves obviously were out there and, you know, effectively luring fans to become fans of their team from markets that weren't Chicago or outside of Illinois. So it's a cool responsibility. It's really personal for the people. And that part I I connect on. I know Michael well. You know, ultimately, yeah, the kid from the Bronx, like whatever you want to say for the Yankees, and no matter how you execute it, whether you want to say this guy's a homer, this guy's not a homer, I can tell you firsthand, it's personal for Michael. And for me, I think the only thing is I'm not from Chicago. I've done... I had done a ton of games nationally at Wrigley Field. But the one thing I was never going to do was like fake the funk. I was not going to come in here and try and be Chicago expert, Cubs expert. I wanted it to come naturally. And hopefully I've been able to do that. But I really, really love it and appreciate the market and the fan base and their passion for it. It's cool. Last one, and we'll we'll end it on like a uh, wonky baseball thing since since you love the stuff. Um, historically, there have been more two person booths than three person booths when it comes to baseball. It seems like that's a um, you know there's a feel to just two people talking. That said, some of the great baseball booths that exist today are three person booths, and I would cite the Mets with Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and Keith Hernandez. Um, right up there. You're going to have this year, by the way, rain delay Cubs at the Mets. And I basically sat with Gary, Keith and Ron and laughed for two hours. It was the night Aaron Boone got thrown out by Laz Diaz. So Keith showing pictures of his cats and we're watching that and we're laughing and I've known them forever. I'm sorry to interrupt on this, but it was just like, it was such a fun night. And I grew up, look, my dad and grandparents got their hooks in me. So I was a Phillies fan as a kid, but I went to Shea and I was in high school in 86. And so I've known those guys as work colleagues, period. But there was also a part of me that like 16 year old me was sitting there going, man, I'm sitting here with Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling. And we're just shooting the shit and bullshitting and laughing and laughing and laughing. Um, It was awesome. Anyway, and their booth is sensational. 
No, I love that. Um, so I'm getting to the point where now, so you have to, you know, you obviously have to work with Eduardo and Jessica in a three-person booth. Does that change um, your approach to this? Just sort of based on the logic that with three voices, um, you have to reduce a little bit in terms of where if it was with two voices, maybe you're talking more. So how does that impact like what you functionally have to do as the play-by-play person? So the answer is yes, it does change it. The one thing that I don't think we talk about enough that is shifted is I would say that baseball up until this year for about eight years, we had gotten to a place where I personally think baseball would be consistently better served by a three-person booth. The game had gotten so long. There was so much space. So much, the amount of time the game took to play, the amount of time with the ball not being in play, the amount of time between pitches, it started to get to a place where you almost really had to have three people, in my opinion, to do the best, best version of it. I think the pitch clock changes things. I think the pitch clock makes it harder to execute a three-person booth and certainly harder in radio in a three-person booth. It's just faster. Um, And so, yes, my focus will be on calling the plays. And, and, And that's always my focus. But, I mean, you're finding it out right here. Like, I... I think I have a lot to say, unfortunately, for the people. And you got to edit yourself. So, yeah, it's it's call the plays. Get in, get out so that Jess and Eduardo can get in. And it'll be fun and it'll be easy. And um, I don't worry about it at all. John Shambi will make his debut as the national radio voice of the World Series. And again, as I mentioned, the top following, uh, you know, two all-timers in Dan Shulman and John Miller. He's joined by Jessica Mendoza and Eduardo Perez in the booth. I think anybody who's a baseball fan considers John one of the best at his craft. So um, it's uh, it will be an absolutely seamless transition in terms of who's been the lead voice of the World Series on radio. Uh, John, have a great uh, couple of days. Obviously, I know people like yourself, this is uh, an incredible time of the year. And I appreciate you giving me some time today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to John Shambi for his time. If uh, you like these conversations, head to the archives. Uh, we should have some stuff for you. Previous uh, long-form interview was with ESPN NBA analyst Doris Burke, who was terrific, and uh, talked about uh, her following Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. We had ESPN's Dan Orlovsky. Uh, if you like football, I would recommend that. We've obviously had some viewership podcasts with Anthony Krupe, Austin Carp, John Lewis. Check those out. Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic and TSN came to uh, talk about covering the NHL in 2023. Again, if you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. I want to thank uh, Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.
Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. And we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 